This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, it's the Liverpool Echo's Blood Red podcast. I'm Matt Addison with Theo Squires and Charlotte Coates, both with me for today's show. No matches for us to talk through just yet, of course, though Liverpool did confirm two more friendlies against RB Leipzig and Strasbourg earlier today. But there is plenty of transfer content for us to have a chat about. Darwin Nunez, of course, was signed earlier in the week. Calvin Ramsey is expected to follow. But what does the rest of this summer look like? As Sadio Mane edges closer to a move to Bayern Munich, there's still plenty for Julian Ward to think about and therefore for us to discuss. Let's start, though, with Sadio Mane, Theo, as that's the most breaking news story as we record this show. Do you want to talk us through, first of all, just what is the latest? Um, Fresh talks are basically planned this weekend, and it's looking like he's edging closer to that Liverpool exit. Um, We know they've had two offers so far, and they've both been, quite frankly, a joke, haven't they? That second one where you have to win the Champions League three times, and... Mane has to win the Ballon d'Or three times for Bayern to even pay the full fee. Uh, Liverpool might as well have just laugh that out. But this time, Bayern uh, sending a delegation for face-to-face talks. It does feel rather more serious this time. They realise they're going to have to up the, what they've been doing before in the bids and try and come to a compromise. I think we, we all know it's probably going to end in one way, and that's Sadio Mane joining Bayern Munich. Liverpool have signed Darwin Nunes. They've got their replacement there. Uh, he's been such a loyal player for Liverpool. They're not going to want to keep him against their will. And it's arguably a blessing in disguise when you think about the fact that they've got the front three in Mane, Salah and Firmino, all the same age, all running out of contract in 2023. At least these breaks up the passing of the baton a little bit rather than having the prospect of losing them all in the same summer. They've already brought in a Luis Diaz in January. Now, Darwin Nunes has come in there. It's a bit of stability and it's a gradual transition. Um, if talks go well this weekend, you'd imagine that we're not going to be waiting much longer before Mane is waving goodbye. Yeah, it's going to be sad to see him go, isn't it, Charlotte? But I suppose the key thing for Liverpool is, like what Theo says there, they've got Diaz and Nunes in. They've got that succession plan in place. It doesn't particularly feel to me like Liverpool are going to be too concerned about losing Mane. They've probably known that this was going to happen for some time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a weird feeling, really, because he has been such a great player for Liverpool and it's, it's kind of like an end of an era, in a way, because that, that front three is getting split up and we all knew it was coming at one point and, and it's happening now. So, like, at one point, that, that front three was the best in Europe. Um, but everything comes to an end and it's not you're not looking back at it and thinking, oh, Liverpool really going to miss Mane next season because, yeah, he's a great player and he's but you just feel like Liverpool have got his best years out of him um, and they've signed they've signed a replacement well and obviously the direct replacement is is uh, Luis Diaz really so and we've already had a glimpse of what he can do um, so him with a, a full pre-season under his belt he's only going to get better and then linking up with obviously Darwin Nunes coming in it's it's exciting times is it the right time to, to let him go, do you think, Theo? I mean, Liverpool have tended to be masters at knowing when the right time comes for these players. They've moved players on and it maybe hasn't gone so well elsewhere. I think it's it's probably safe to say that Sadio Mane will probably be a success at Bayern. But could this be the latest example of Liverpool kind of maximising the right time to, to let a player go? Uh, you'd like to think so. Like, imagine if we were having this conversation in January when they signed Diaz and that was the replacement and buying came in then. I don't think anyone would have been too worried about losing Mane there because as good as he was the second half of the season, 
um, when the pandemic was struck and there were no fans there, there was that feeling that he was on the decline somewhat compared to how brilliant it had been in the Champions League winning the year, in the Premier League winning the year. It's a hard one to make this call. Like, obviously, there's going to be a little bit of life left in him and you go to the Bundesliga, he's going to be the main striker if he replaces Lewandowski. He's going to score a lot of goals. Liverpool are going to maybe look there enviously, wondering if they could have got another year or two out of him. But managing to, if they get close to the 42.5 million they want, they're selling him for a small profit. Having had him for six years, 120 goals, Premier League champions, Champions League champions, Club World Champions, League Cup, FA Cup, Super Cup. He's won everything that he can win. And while he's only won it once, I'm sure he'd like to win it a few more times. He's still done what he needed to do. He came in when Liverpool just trying to get back into the Champions League and he's been there for that whole transition. They've definitely got their money's worth. And then it's just, well, you've still got Mohamed Salah there. Like if it's the choice between the two, maybe it feels a bit different at this time because of how the second season, half of the season went for both players. But when, like I said, if you're having this conversation in January when Salah was scoring every week and Mane was the one maybe not at it, then it's a completely different prospect losing Mane. You can obviously rather keep Salah. What I think is quite interesting potentially is if they've known for a while that he might not be staying put, they know they've got to replace the front three at some point. They've got to have this transition. It's got to be gradual. It can't be all at once. But when you sign Luis Diaz, it would have been easy to just have him on the bench and then bed him in slowly. It was very unlike Jurgen Klopp to just throw him straight into the starting eleven. But then there it would have been easy to say, well, Firmino's the striker or Josh is the striker. The fact that he reinvented Mane as the central striker so he could have Diaz in his favourite position. You wonder if it's something that's been going on behind the scenes for a while and it was just, we'll get six months out of this three and then we'll sign an actual striker to replace Mane. Uh, Liverpool have done it the right way. I suppose only time will tell if they're going to be uh, having the, the better off for it. That'll be basically on if Nunes is scoring 15, 20 goals and if Mane is scoring um, Lewandowski levels at Bayern Munich. Um, you can be happy with the overall position of one in and one out at Liverpool. At the very least, Nunes is, what, six, seven, eight years younger. You're going to get a healthy return not for him, even if he isn't quite at the 30 goals season straight away, Mark. But Mane, what a servant he's been. We could do a podcast on him all day. I'm sure we will when the deal is confirmed, saying how great he was and look at his best moments. It, it, like Charlotte said, it'll be a sad day when he goes, but Liverpool are in as good a position as they can be in circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of, of Sadio Mane, we've not actually heard from him, have we, since before the Champions League final, Charlotte? So we don't know exactly what his reasoning is behind maybe wanting to move on, whether it's a little bit of Liverpool wanting to move him on as well. But if it is just time for, for a new challenge for him, are you surprised that that's the case or can you understand the reasons behind it? Uh, a bit of both, really. But I, I do feel that like, like you do understand why why in terms of like a wanting a new challenge. Um, obviously, Bayern Munich, is such, they're a huge club, um, as are Liverpool. But he's done everything that he can do at Liverpool, really. He's won, he's won everything, as Theo said. And maybe a bit comes into it that all the talk last season was Mo Salah's contract like, and how desperate Liverpool are and were to get that sorted. Whereas Manny, it was like just going under... It was going under wraps really where it was like, oh, hang on a minute, he's in the same situation as Salah where he got a year left on his contract now and there was no talk around it and he probably deserved more than that from people, like everyone connected with Liverpool, he probably deserved more of more of a, more more talk where it was it was concerned that he was entering his final year like it is with Salah. So I don't know, maybe maybe he feels a little underappreciated somewhere along along the lines in, in the Liverpool hierarchy. 
The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, no, I think that'll uh, lead us nicely on then to, to Darwin Nunez. I'll come to you, Theo, first on, on this one. Liverpool obviously brought him in to, to replace Sadio Mane earlier this week. Could become a club record fee, not to begin with, obviously, only just if they add the add-ons eventually. But how much of a shift in attack do you think this is for Liverpool? Is it as much of a change? Is it a real traditional number nine? Or is it maybe a little bit more nuanced than that? Um, I guess we'll find out in a few weeks when he starts playing in pre-season and we get that first glimpse of him. Um, from what we saw in the Champions League, he does like to go out on the, the left-hand side and then cut inside, but he's more this focal striker. He's got a bit of everything. Like from the reports we've seen, got the kind of obvious comparisons to a Suarez or a Torres is always going to be the case when Liverpool sign a striker. But looking at him, there's a bit of a Cavani in there, isn't there? Like he's got a bit of power. He's got the height so he can win things in the air, but he's got pace as well. Uh, it does seem like it's um, a change for Liverpool. I think Trent Alexander-Arnold's uh, tweet, how can I assist you, was a, a hint to what we can expect. Uh, I know we've had a few pieces on the website suggesting maybe it's going to be a 4-2-3-1 and maybe that's why Liverpool aren't signing a midfielder and that would make a lot of sense. And I think it's all very logical that they've lost or they're losing Sadio Mane. Mohamed Salah could be gone this time next year. So what we'll do, I know we'll get a goal scorer and put them central. So we're not relying on the wingers to get the goals anymore. They're just there. Um, they've signed a, a number 10 in Carvalho. Well, now you've got his position there. And if you don't want to play him there, you still got Firmino. You've still got Harvey Elliott. Protects the fact they haven't signed a midfielder because they can have Thiago and Fabinho deep. And it means Henderson's there as the backup to Fabinho without being knackered by playing every single game. And then you're still relying on your fullbacks to just get the assists in. It's all come in together as what could be the sensible next step. But it does rely a lot on Darwin Nunes being able to take his Portugal returns and putting it into the Premier League. But then we could have the same conversation about Man City and Erling Haaland. Like that's in a change of approach from them. Uh, maybe it's just these two juggernauts of managers in Guardiola and Klopp having been so dominating with how they're doing, now taking it into another direction. You look at the full season last year, what cost them the Premier League was the fact that they drew all the games with City, that they drew all the games with Chelsea. And they had three finals where they didn't score a goal. Very easy to just go, well, let's put a striker in there. That's what they've done. Let's see if it pays off. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that both Liverpool and City have chosen to go down that path at the same time, having not really done that for the past few years. It'd be interesting to see which one of the two settles the quickest, and I'm sure they'll both be fantastic players in the Premier League. But Theo mentions there the possibility of a kind of front four or a 4 4 2 or whatever you want to call it, Charlotte, in terms of. The extra attackers, we're going to talk in a little while about the sort of midfield chat and, and what's going to happen there for the rest of this summer. But is a bit more of a front four something that you'd like to see from Liverpool next season? Can that be the next logical step for them to take under Jurgen Klopp? Yeah, I feel I feel like it is because obviously now, now the signing of Nunes gives... I mean, obviously we had that option anyway with Jota um, and Mane staying. It was, that option was there and we saw it. Um, at times, but it was more if Liverpool needed a goal, it was like, right, we'll we'll, uh, we'll chuck everyone on. Um, whereas now it might be an actual planned planned formation where Liverpool start like that in some games, maybe at Anfield, if we're playing against the lower side, who they need to break down, you can just put all all four on. Um, but yeah, obviously now I feel like I feel like it could be a more four two three one um, formation, as Theo mentioned, but. Obviously, there's more more structure to that in terms of it's not just like four four across. I think Firmino, 
Firmino would be good in that that um, ten role behind Nunes because I don't know. Firmino struggled a bit last season with staying fit, and it was the first time we'd seen that really because he'd been he'd been fantastic with how how available he'd been for Liverpool over the years, and maybe last season it just took its toll on him a little bit. All the the running he's had to do, um, all the games he's played, so maybe there's now. Not really sure about how how many times we'll see him in that false nine role now with the the signing of of Nunes and obviously Jota seems to be a bit of a forgotten man at the moment. So yeah, I do feel like we'll we'll see four two three one quite a bit next season. I think it is interesting the Diogo Jota point, Theo. I mean, we shouldn't forget about him. He scored twenty one times last season. He kind of tailed off a little bit, a bit like Mohamed Salah in the second half of the season, but the first half was. Just absolutely sublime for, for Liverpool. Uh, there is so many options. Obviously, Nunez is going to be the one that we talk about a lot, but Diogo Jota's got to fit into this front three somewhere as well. Yeah, he does. And it's interesting, like you'd still say he's not a Liverpool starter. Even when he was scoring 20 goals, it's like it doesn't quite feel like a Liverpool starter. He's someone you throw on when you need a goal, but he doesn't have the all round play of Mane or Firmino when they're playing central. And it's quite telling that. When these Diaz came in, the the answer was right. Mane's the striker, even though you've just got nearly twenty goals in the first half of the season, and you're just going to be a rotation option out wide. Um, obviously, injuries didn't help, and I think he lost his rhythm, didn't he, when the players came back from the Cup of Nations? So where it was so much rotation, but for the first half of the season, he thrived as that main number nine. When Firmino was out for a couple of months with a hamstring, then another couple of months with a hamstring injury. Getting goals galore, getting on the end of everything. We saw that sign of Liverpool putting in the higher crosses, and we know how good he was in the air, how good he is in the air, and how he's getting the end of anything. But now you've got Nunes who can do that role. So maybe another hint to this change of Liverpool approach. Jota's still this poacher, but there were games where Liverpool looked a bit isolated, I suppose, when he was the lone striker, when teams were defending deep and they were just getting bodies there and winning everything. He's still good to bring on when you need a goal, but he needs to have a good pre season. He could start the season as first choice. We don't know how well Nunes is going to settle in. We know Pop sometimes likes players to take their time to get up to speed. So he could very well be seeing him start an explosive form again, getting 10 goals, 15 goals by Christmas and keeping his place. But when you see the fact that he's now on paper competing with the last two big money signings who've cost, what, 135 million between them, he cost 40 odd million himself. But he's still got a big out task on his hands to nail down that starting role. But having said all that, it's not going to be the same 11 week in, week out. Liverpool nearly won't quadruple because they have this strength and depth. They could rotate their options. And of course, we're going to a season where it's five substitutions across the board. So there are plenty of options there. He's going to get minutes even if he's not starting games. And what we've seen so far from the Portuguese wizard, he's going to score some goals. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that's the exact reason why he's there, isn't it? To provide that competition, to make sure that he's at the top of his game, but also the rest of that front three are as well. Last but not least, then, before we move on to sort of what the rest of this summer looks like, let's have a little bit of a chat about Calvin Ramsey, Charlotte. I'll come to you first on this one. I don't know how much of him you have seen, but all that we have heard and read about recently seems to be that he is the ideal Trent Alexander-Arnold backup. And I suppose that's almost the most difficult job, isn't it, for Liverpool? To try and find someone stylistically similar to Trent is almost impossible, but it looks like they might well have done that. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've never seen him play. I'll, uh, I'll happily admit that. But um, everything that I've read about him is good. He was named Scottish uh, SPL Young Player of the Year. And Liverpool just don't 
they wouldn't have signed him if, if they didn't, if they didn't rate him. So the fact that he's 18 years old, he's got age to come in and be an understudy because the fact, the fact that his Trent is, is as good as anyone in the world in, in that position. So you're not going to sign anyone who's, you're not going to sign someone and they're going to come in and play. I don't know, they're not, they're not going to start many games really. Um, but it's like Liverpool had that same problem on the left-hand side before they signed Simicast. It was like if Robbo got injured, who could come in? Who could come in and play there? And obviously the answer to that was Milner for a while. Um, but that was so last season if Trent got injured, putting Milner there or you putting Joe Gomez there, and it just takes so much away from the way Liverpool play because it does a lot of it does go through Trent that that creative aspect. And if if Ramsey's anything like Trent, anything like his delivery and can can't live so Liverpool can kind of play the same way that they do with Trent in the side if he got injured or he needed a rest then then it's a great bit of business it's going to be an interesting summer at right back there obviously a change there in Calvin Ramsey there's potential knock-on effects for one or two others as well not least Nico Williams there's a price tag set for him I suppose this is probably a sign that he is going to move on we thought that, that was going to be the case but this is almost the confirmation of that isn't it uh, potentially, like it's one where Liverpool would be happy to keep Nico Williams and Nico Williams would be happy to stay at Liverpool, but they both know he's not going to play the games that he needs to play. With the, the Wales have qualified for the World Cup, that's even more of a reason for him to move on, to go and play. He did so well with Fulham that he proved how good he was. He's just coming through the Liverpool ranks at the worst time for any right-back. Like If he'd been older than Trent and he'd been the first one, he'd have been first choice for a couple of years and then it'd be batting off the challenge of Trent and probably losing that battle. But then you think of some of the right-backs you've seen before that when they're signing, like Mankiel on loan when they had Nathaniel Klein. Nico Williams could have done a decent backup job for them and taken the place. He's just competing with the best right-back in the world. Uh, we know the price is £15 million. We know Fulham got a bit of money to spend, uh, as all promoted teams seem to do. It's whether they actually gamble or uh, twist and stick with what they've got. It makes sense for him to go back there. He, he needs to play with the World Cup coming up. And it's a logical time for him to move on. And it all seems to be logical forward thinking for Liverpool that they know they've got Nico Williams here, who's been a good backup right back, but they can't keep him forever when you've got Trent. So then they bring Connor Bradley forward, who now could go on loan to Bolton. He played a few games in the Cup last year, didn't I think play in the Premier League. So it's, it's not going to be too different for you this year. You go on loan, go and have a full season somewhere, play some games. We'll sign another teenager who could potentially do that role for you. Um, just have the Cup games. But then there was no, um, there was a suggestion that Ramsey could go out on loan as well. Uh, when uh, we got our information from the club, they want to see how he does in pre-season, and then assess how close he is to properly rivaling Trent, or if it's better for him to go out and play elsewhere. And if he goes out to play elsewhere, well, the thinking there could be well, you've got Joe Gomez, who did really well as a backup right back, especially second half of the season, came in when they were rotating, delivered, got some good assists as well. Um, you got James Milner there for another year on his contract. And then in a year's time, well, Joel Matip's a year older. You'd like to think he's dropped down the pecking order. No disrespect to him. He was superb last year. But when you've got Canate and Gomez there, you want them, you need them to be ahead of him in the pecking order for this forward thinking. So then you have Gomez considered more as a centre-back. And then it's, well, we need a backup right-back again. Well, you've just sent two teenagers potentially out on loan to have four seasons in the Championship or League One. They're coming back in. You can't ask Nico Williams to hang around for that and to still just be a backup 
it is just this gradual transition. It's very much uh, you'll see the older players moved on, seeing the succession in the front line. But it's always going to be the backup to Trent when he's so young and he's going to be first choice for 10 years. It's We've got a successor for him as a backup for two, three seasons. Then he needs to move on and we'll find someone else. We've had Nico Williams come through from teenager to early 20s, ready to take this next step. Now it's starting that cycle again with Ramsey and Bradley. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. In terms of what comes next, then it looks like Liverpool's incomings might be pretty much there once Calvin Ramsey is signed. I'll come back to you on this, Theo. I mean, is that the right decision, do you think? I know a lot of people have been talking about a midfielder and possibly the need to do something like that. But if Calvin Ramsey is the last player Liverpool signed this summer, is is that a situation you'd be happy with heading into the new season? It's an interesting one. It's, it's one I'm going to do a, a comment piece on later today, which I think will go on the website tomorrow. But if this is it for incomings, has it been a good transfer window for Liverpool? Yes, they've signed an £85 million striker. And I think that covers over it, doesn't it? You think, oh, they've done something. This is a response to City signing Haaland. But in a hypothetical scenario where they don't sign Nunes, where Mane stays for a year, you've essentially signed two kids again. And that is your business to improve your squad. Now, there hasn't been any backlash compared to what we've seen in previous years. I think Jurgen Klopp's won a lot of faith for there. The fact that this squad went for a quadruple, they, they nearly delivered it. And the fact that he was so right when he said, we don't need a midfielder. We've got all these players here who can do the options last year when uh, Genie and Aldum left. So you've got faith in those options. And then we talk about formation changes. The players are there. It's just, we, we know they need a midfielder in the not too distant future. Right. Henderson, Thiago, both wrong side of 30. Milner will be 37 when this contract expires. And we've said it pretty much every year for the last three, four years. Surely this is the last contract. But then he keeps surprising us. He keeps finding a way to keep on going. But you'd like to think 37, this might be the end of his Liverpool career in, in 12 months' time and hopefully be going out on a high. But Klopp's hinted himself how he's so excited by Elliot, by Curtis Jones. They've got another year experience. They could be pushing on that first team door and making themselves starters within the next year. Uh, Fabinho is going to be a staple in this midfield for five years. And then it's just the uncertainty on Oxlade-Chamberlain and Naby Keita. But I've, I've listed so many midfielders there. You tell me, do they need another midfielder? Even if Oxlade-Chamberlain goes, they've still got seven senior options there. You've still got Tyler Morton. You've still potentially got Trent if you want to be desperate enough. If you've got enough faith in um, Ramsey or whoever you've got as a backup. And then it's you're looking at who they want to bring in. Well, we know they wanted the lad from Monaco who's gone Real Madrid and they couldn't make that happen. So if the right player had been available this summer, you'd imagine they'd gone for him and they'd have got him. But who do we know they like? Who isn't going to be available until 2023? Jude Bellingham. Now, very easy to go. Two plus two equals four. But the pieces are all there. It's waiting to see what happens. It's the priority for 2023, this new midfielder. And we've, Liverpool have got enough in the bank to warrant another season with a squad. They silenced their doubters last year. We're pie going for the quadruple when people say they need another midfielder. There's enough there to keep them going for another year. But if we're having the same conversation in 12 months' time and they're saying, oh, we're done, we've not signed a midfielder, you'll be wondering what on earth has happened. Yeah, I think the, the midfield for now, Charlotte, is, is OK. As Theo says, there is still a number of options there. The only sort of position that I would look at and, and wonder if there might be another deal is more actually in the forward line. I suppose Fabio Cavallio kind of negates this to an extent, but having lost Divock Origi already, potentially losing Takumi Minamino, who scored 10 times last season. I mean, we all want Liverpool to go far and, and go towards the quadruple again. And 
you do need those squad players who can play in the early rounds of the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup even. Is is that a concern for you more than the midfield or are you more on the side of possibly if there was one more, maybe it could be in the centre of the pitch? Uh, I have been more concerned about the midfield, but you raise a good point there because obviously those like Minamino was top scorer for Liverpool in, in the League Cup and in the FA Cup. So... You got, you're going to think he, he's going to go. Rigi's obviously gone. And those, like I say, those players are key to progressing in those competitions, especially for Liverpool, because they they don't really play much in the Premier League. And, and they're in a weakened side. And in both cups, they, they do get Liverpool through the rounds. Um, it's not like a squad like Man City's where, I don't know, they've got Jack Grealish on the bench in the Premier League and they're playing him in the FA Cup or something like that. So it's, yeah, Liverpool maybe do need another forward. Um, but obviously I'm not quite sure, not quite sure that'll happen this season. Like I said, Carvalho coming in, he's going to get a chance. He's he's highly rated and everyone's excited to see what he's going to do. Um, I know the long-term plan for him, I think, is to put him in the midfield. But obviously with him being 19 years old, it's good to blood him in, in the forward line and, and see what he's about. Maybe like a, bit of a Coutinho type player um, but yeah a midfielder would be I think we saw in the Champions League final that a midfielder who can who can break forward and burst into the box kind of like kind of like what Gerard and Lampard used to do although that midfield, that type of midfielder doesn't really seem to be around anymore other than maybe like a Bellingham but it's I don't know football's kind of moved on these days where midfielders don't obviously apart from Kevin De Bruyne who's the best in the world at that. Midfielders are more players who control a game and don't really score that much now. But Liverpool, they do need a midfielder who can score goals because if the front three are being defended well against, it's it's important to have someone who can burst forward and maybe nick a goal. I'd argue they've already got two who can do that. We're just waiting to see them unlock that potential in Jones and Elliot. And it is an interesting one because numbers-wise, if everyone stays fit, they're fine. Like if everyone stays fit, starting front three is you'd like to think Diaz, Nunes, Salah. And that means you've got Firmino and Jota starting all these cup games. Like you need to remember that Origi and Minamino, even in the later stages of the FA Cup, they weren't starting, were they? They were like on the bench as he turned to Firmino and Jota. So the options are there, but it's the gamble of you're relying on no injuries. When we saw Firmino pick up injuries, Jota pick up injuries, uh, Nunes, I think he was fine at Benfica, but before that it had injury problems. Um, you're relying on everyone to stay fit, but that's the case every year. It's quite telling that the year Liverpool go for the quadruple is when everyone seemed to stay fit second half of the season, whereas the year before when it fell apart was when they lost all the centre-backs. Had a brief midfield injury crisis, didn't they, before Christmas, but they managed to pull that together. The pieces are there. It's just putting it in all together, getting the, the jigsaw to match up. Um, if Curtis Jones comes in, starts 20, 30 games, scores 10 goals, or Elliot does similar in all competitions, then you're not going to be worrying about Minamino or Rigi leaving or had desperate need for a new midfielder because they've stand, stood up and delivered. Maybe expecting the same from Carvalho as well. It's better to rely on these youngsters to fill the void. And that's what Jurgen Klopp's wanted to do. He's always excited about this prospect. It's one of the reasons why he signed his new contract because he doesn't want to just go to a successor. Here you go, your job now. He wants to get into this next stage. He wants us to be talking about Jones and Elliot as these finished articles rather than just potential. Uh, it's going to be an exciting time and it might not be as glamorous as going and spending £100 million 
on a midfielder or coming and signing another forward. But when you've got the talent there, we just wanted to see it more consistently. Like we've seen the glimpses, haven't we? They're at that age that they can take us to the next stage. Uh, let's see what happens. Yeah, the World Cup's going to be quite interesting as well, isn't it? In terms of when that falls in the season, does that give certain players a break? I mean, you'd probably be slightly concerned about injuries to Henderson and Thiago and one or two others. But again, how much are they actually going to play in that World Cup? We don't know at this stage. We were having this conversation yesterday. It's um, technically a title boost for Liverpool, isn't it? Because if you go through it, six, seven, eight players in the Liverpool squad be going to the World Cup, you'd imagine. And then two of them might not even start. Like Thiago, if he's there, he's not first choice. Firmino's not first choice. Trent's not even first choice. Henderson's not first choice. You go through the City squad, they're going to have like 14, 15 players there. Haaland won't be though. So they've got that bonus as well, arrested for the striker. Um, but then these two teams are going to be at the top no matter what, aren't they? We, we know how strong they are. That's why they've been going for the league every year for the last four years. And there's only been like one point between them over the last four years. Uh, they've got such strength and depth. That's why they can go for all the honours. Um, you, you like to think that a World Cup could have an impact. But there's, there's enough in reserve for both of them. It's not going to be too different. It's still going to be one of them first and the other one second. Yeah, and City's fixtures off the back of the World Cup as well. A, a lot more difficult than Liverpool's, but I'm sure we'll cover that plenty of times between now and then. Just to, to finish then, it's not obviously just transfers that we've got to talk about. Contracts as well. I think there's four senior players now. Firmino, Chamberlain, Salah and Cater with a year left on their deal. Milner. Out of, and out of Milner, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in terms of uh, in terms of the ones that we expect could extend beyond another year, Charlotte, would there... Any of those be priorities for you? I suppose Mohamed Salah is the obvious one, but there's big decisions to be made with one or two of the others as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously Salah's the priority and um, you do feel as though you'd like to get Naby Keita tied down just, just as an option in the midfield um, because Ox being allowed to leave. Milner, he's probably thinking this is his last year at the club. Henderson, 32 Thiago, obviously wrong side of 30 as well. So letting too many midfielders go, it's too... With Liverpool already needing one, it's they could really be a problem next season if if Kate leaves, Ox leaves, Milner leaves. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to think Kate would get... And I thought he had a good season last season as well. He, he deserves... I feel like he's done enough to warrant a new contract. Um, but, yeah, obviously Salah's the one, but it's difficult. It's difficult to see which way which way that's going to go. Um, you always think that when it enters its final year, it, it never, I don't know, it's more difficult to get it done. It always seems to just just peter out and he goes on free, but hopefully I'm wrong. Um, and then for me, no, I feel like that one that one would be quite easy to sort if the club wants to keep him, then I'm pretty sure for me, no, it'd be, it'd be um, good with staying, um, obviously with him, with him playing a certain amount of games, but, yeah, I feel like you can't really, you can't really, a bit like Kater's situation, you can't really afford to let Salah and Firmino leave in the same summer on a free because replacing Salah's goals is, especially from that wide position as well, is practically impossible. Um, and then what Firmino's done for the club as well, and that sort of play he is, it's, it's difficult to replace him as well. So you've got to get, I mean, the priority should be getting Salah done because it's practically impossible to replace. And then you'd like to think Firmino and Kate would get sorted as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Plenty of things to think about for Liverpool this summer. We'll have all of the latest, of course, across the Echo, liverpool.com and Blood Red. But that will just about do us for today's podcast. More content to come over the weekend, possibly something on Sadio Mane, plus the Blood Red podcast. We'll be back on Monday as well. For now, though, thanks for listening and goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.